Hi everyone, I just wanted to give an introduction to the Meeting House building. So the project that we work for is funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund, who fund a lot of our events, including this one, which we're very grateful for. And the project is about sharing the building's radical history and radical history in the local area. That's everything, so I'll pass over to Anna and Shade. Hi everybody. our first event where we were able, though it was our first event, we had around 80 people who turned up. But with that, it was, was pre-pandemic. So obviously now everything's a little bit different. It's not the same. You can't necessarily have as much of an intimate situation in regards to having those conversations. But, you know, you just have to keep moving with it and see how it goes. But I think for this topic, we wanted to make it about the arts because with our first one, it was more personal. Obviously, as two women who are mixed race, talking about colorism, our our experience is completely different in comparison to majority of the black community. So we had to be very real with that and also state that we are not teachers. That's something I always say. We, are, we literally read Akala Natives about around December. We both had such an incredible attachment to it and we're discussing it so much that we recognize that we can't be the only people having these political racial conversations. And so then we had the first event, which was us just trying to come to terms with a topic that though we felt was slightly somewhat difficult to converse on, especially because colorism is obviously something that unfortunately is a development from racism, which stems from slavery with all of that in play, we had to definitely come to terms of conversing about it openly, but it being a safe space rather than it being something that we were just directing and conversing about too personally, if that makes any sense. Yeah, because I, I, think, I think what it's about is it's really about creating community and having these, these critical conversations that I think a lot of us are having at home or within um, our own personal circles. But it's about kind of broadening the conversation. And then we always say that um, with Black Exchange, the purpose of having these conversations is to lead to action. So it's it's having these conversations so we start thinking about it and how are we implementing it in our lives and, and moving forward. Um, I think when, because so, so often when we are talking about issues that impact the black community, we are so centered on trauma and I think it's about 
we have all of these things that are impacting us, but it's how in which we can move and make positive changes. That's why with Black Exchanges, we're so, we're so keen on having these talks, having these conversations, but then also having events and being able to benefit the community. And if we're getting funding to do a project, then we can get different creatives um, and people to perform. And I think it's really about broadening that community because I think it's very much when we have like we have Black History Month or unfortunately when something happens like with Black Lives Matter suddenly everybody's interested in hearing about black stories or commissioning black artists to make work but it's about trying to create the spaces um, to facilitate and show work throughout the year and to be having these conversations continually because we can't limit it to just one month of the year. But that's the thing, around October, that's when all of the black creators all of a sudden get approached and it's as if to say your art only exists in one month out of the entire year. And I think that's something with us, with every opportunity that we're being given with black exchanges, we want to make sure that we can actually open it out so that we can introduce other creatives. So, for instance, I can speak about art or painting. You can speak about film. But in regards to having dances and opening up the different types of creatives that we can include. So, for instance, today we have Joel, who's a musician, and he's going to be doing a performance around eights. And then we have Robia, who's also a dancer. And she. what will be great with the conversation overall is that we can only talk about our personal experiences. But with Joel, for instance, he's come from... I hate that terminology established because it's as if to say only if you've been put in systematic places such as the Tate or if you've been featured on a radio, only then you're established, even if you've been creating for how many years. But with this, we can have his experience from doing independent music, but then he's also toured with a friend of mine, Petit Noir, who then was able to see what an established artist experience is like. Then we have Robia, who's done a lot of things independently, but she's also done, um, she worked on the most recent Black is King for Beyonce music video, she's toured with Rita Ora, so she can give you what her experience has been, as well as the experience that she's had with established artists, and then you can see how in industries treat you completely differently, because we have noted that when it comes to the arts, the one industry that black creatives are usually accepted in instantly would be music, and that's come from systemic history of black people always being seen as entertainers. But when it comes to artists, when it comes to lawyers, when it comes to doctors, when it comes to other forms that aren't specifically music, you have to be grown up. I was raised by a Jamaican woman. I was always told you have to work 10 times as hard with anything full stop. But when it comes to the arts, if it's music, it's almost the okay category that you're allowed to be accepted within. But with the black exchanges, um, the whole exhibition that we're going to be doing throughout the October months, we'll be able to talk about different types of categories that aren't stereotypically made for us. So I think it'll be interesting to have different people's points of views and see how that develops. But Joel should be coming on in the next 10 minutes, so that'll be interesting. In the next 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. So maybe, yeah, so we can just kind of talk about how we've moved forward since, like... We've obviously had the pandemic, and it's been... Okay. <laughs> like, it's been a really intense period of time for everybody and I think even we're aware that even with Black Exchange is suddenly people were more interested in what we were doing even though this is something that we've been working on since for December. 
since December, but then a conversation it's a conversation that yeah. we've been having between us since we've known each other, mm -hmm. since, since day one, essentially. Mm -hmm. But it's also a conversation that has been running through my work for the last few years and the conversations I'm having generally. And I think it's this idea of constantly trying to educate myself on an education that is this, was essentially hidden and erased um, from mainstream stream history. Um, and I think this, this month will be like a really good look at, we can, we'll be sorry, <laughs> specifically talking from our perspectives and looking at the arts industry. But I think arts is one way of expressing and telling our stories, but the Black Exchange is, is wider than just the arts. This is just one aspect of things we will be exploring. I think what's interesting, though, is during the pandemic, how artists all had to individually then navigate their own, still trying to make an income, still trying to have your work put out there. Like, for instance, with me, I did an exhibition post, or would it be post-pandemic? So though I did my exhibition at Bath's Gallery in Hackney, those paintings were it ended up becoming my response to the Black Lives Matter protests that were evolving because, of course, we all can't ignore what happened with the George Floyd situation in America. But with that, it's as if people then began to want to speak up about Black Lives Matter, even though it's not something that just begun. Civil rights has not ended. It's just a continuation of civil rights movements. So I think everyone had their own way of expressing that, and some people actually just had to go inwards and not put anything out because it's, it was traumatic to be seeing this constant visual trauma that has just become so normalized, seeing black people being killed and being put all over the place that you can't ignore it. Everyone had their own medium. Some people did it with music, some people did it with um, word, poetry, and I with me, I did it with painting. So it's everyone has their own way and I think what's beautiful about black exchanges is that we're trying to make sure that we platform everyone's experience but it doesn't always have to come from the aftermath of witnessing trauma I think what's going to be beautiful with Robia's performance is that it's just a simple expression of how she feels in regards to the music and it being a positive output rather than it just because it's black history month it doesn't now mean that everything has to be a response to black lives matter or a response to seeing a continuation of trauma put out there. I think this concept of we can only talk about blackness as black people, we can speak about everything because this concept of always having to try to fight to state that we are human, we are experiencing so many other things that doesn't have to be a response to the trauma that we're being forced onto us from the media. And I think with black exchanges, though we obviously we will touch base on these things, we need to make sure that that's not our main focus and we put out there an output that is not a stereotypical representation, you know? I think we'll see how that goes from there. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, it's, but yeah, when we talk about the word representation in itself, that... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, yeah, like for me currently, I'm actually working on... Uh, on a project specifically for Black History Month. Um, and I think, I think as, as artists, we often get in this frustrated position as in we want to take opportunities because we want to be able to tell our stories. Um, and we're aware that they so desperately need to be heard. But then I think also there's a fact that these stories are not really respected in an, 
in a way that there is the monetary value being provided to artists who are expected to tell these stories. So I think it's, I think as an artist, you can end up being in this very much of a conflicting position of trying to make work that is honest and authentic and tells your stories, but also having to accept that maybe you'll have to make this during Black History Month when maybe you would have liked to have made it in February or March. <laughs> it's as if to say you only have one section where you're actually asked to do creative work, and that's just incorrect in itself. But you just have to move forward and make your own space. I think that's what it comes down to. Rather than expecting the arts industry, or any industry for that matter, to make room for you, sometimes you just have to take it in your own hands and take the risk and do it yourself. Obviously, in regards to the means that you have, it's completely different. But with us being given this opportunity of Newington Green, rather than us just simply doing singular exhibitions of our own work, we can actually converse about these topics and include other artists so that we can navigate a space for them. Because I think it's, we, we can't have this concept of waiting to be given an opportunity because quite frankly, we'd probably be waiting forever. Mm -hmm. So you have to take it in your own hands and actually make the space. And thankfully, places like Newington Green, there are, there are places that exist, it's just there aren't as many as we would like. And I think with that, we just have to take on board what we can and make a platform for other people rather than always being so self, you know, just selfish in that sense. I, th I think so, but I think also um, there's very much a responsibility that becomes placed on a black artist or a black creative when they are doing well and being successful that you are responsible for telling the stories of every black person, which obviously is impossible. Like we all, like our identities are intersectional and there are a multitude of experiences that make up who we are and one or two people cannot talk for, talk for everybody. Yeah. It's just a bad expectation because quite frankly, my experience is going to be completely different. For instance, when we were talking about colorism, my experience is completely different to my mother's experience. And with that, you can't then expect one person to give you all the answers. And I think that's what happens. And when you have a black person, especially, who's become established within the arts, within any industry, people then assume that that person now is a voice for everyone. But quite frankly, everyone's just trying to survive and to live. And to have that much pressure on one person just simply isn't fair. And I think it's also, it's very interesting. I think we have this kind of generational thing where we've got that our parents and the generation before who were still becoming the first black person to do this mm. or to do that. Mm. And we're still in the same position today. And it's like, I think we're, we're still kind of stuck in that kind of let, um, being, being the first and that we're, we have to pave the way for other people. But even when the space is offered for one person, it's almost as if the industry closes the door on everybody else because it's like... Yeah, it's like got... one person at a time. Mm -hmm. That's the complex. It's as if to say, it's like when you do like black models, there's one black model at a time. When it's yeah. one artist, it's one black artist at a time. Not as if to say there's multiple other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the case of the whole concept of ticking a box. And unfortunately, it still exists. You may have... It's just something that I think will always be there, and that's why I'm so pro. If you can do it yourself, take that risk and do it, because unfortunately, with Black Lives Matter, in my opinion, it's become a trend. 
everybody wanted to jump on it. All of a sudden, everybody had a black square, and that's meant to mean something. Like, that alone itself is actually, in my, in my opinion, I thought it was rude and just <laughs> it's, distasteful. It's, it's, it's essentially <laughs> disgusting, but it is the capitalist society that we live in that everybody wants to profitise, and whether that is profitising off of black culture or black mm. pain, mm. whatever sells, whatever product a brand is currently working on, I think for me what was mad is that all of a sudden everybody was then asking you as a black person, what do I need to do to not be racist? That's basically what it came down to. Mm -hmm. You're asking you what books they should read. And all of a sudden, my friend who actually wrote um, Why I No Longer Talk to White People About Race, her book became number one seller. That book she made four years ago, and all of a sudden now the whole world wanted to read why you should not be racist. And I think it's, it's saddening that you've made a body of work and maybe years ago <laughs> or whatnot, but that only, that your success can only happen in a moment of immense suffering and pain that other people are experiencing. I think there's this kind of, this, this pain and discomfort in feeling that your work, you're profiting from something because suddenly people want to feature your work that week or let, let's what 10 black artists should we follow on instagram this week you, but that's, <laughs> yeah, but that's <laughs> what it came down to that's literally what it came down to <laughs> literally <laughs> but this is the sad truth of it all only then after the whole world saw trauma bear in mind of course george floyd this is something that happened. But when I went to New York in 2016, there was a Sandra Bland case that everybody was marching about. And I remember asking a taxi driver, what's the update? He literally turned to me and said, I'm sorry, but which one are you referring to? And I felt like a fool then, because even me, I knew of Sandra Bland, but there were people who were black who were being killed by police weekly. We only hear about the occasional one or two. So the mere factor of something has to be pull over social media. If we didn't have a film, like people act like this is new. It's not new. Everyone's always had, this has, this has always been going on because of social media, because of us all having an iPhone, you're able to capture it. So I think this complex of now all of a sudden you want to learn about why you should not be racist. You want to now have a diversity board to state that, you know, we, we have like five black people working on the shop floor, not just one. Like everyone wants to tick a box just to prove that they have an element of diversity, but quite frankly, why is it only happening in 2020? Civil rights happened in when? And now you want to talk about, we have people who are not, who are of color, and then they try to claim, even when, when, they, gave, when they gave numbers, they were grouping essentially you Indian group everybody people, who's Asian not people, white into one but it's not the same thing. Quite frankly, when it comes to colorism, me being a mixed race woman, I'm very aware that I was, I walked into a shop, we mentioned this in the colorism talk, but even me walking into a shop, I heard a, the shop owner tell the security to watch my mother. And then when I walked in, I made a point to say, how, how dare you, that's my mum. Oh, don't worry, security, don't watch her anymore. So even me seeing I was treated differently because I'm lighter skinned than my mum, you can't then claim that Indian people, Asian people, black people all tick the same box because it's not the same thing. Of course, you will have an element of being discriminated against, but their experience is completely different to one another. You can't categorize POC because the experience is not the same and it will never be the same. So I think it's just about, don't get me wrong, we can't now be mad that organizations and spaces want to now talk about diversity. Sometimes that concept of it's better late than never, unfortunately, is true. 
but I, you don't deserve a round of applause for putting this black square up. You don't deserve a round of applause for having a diversity panel. You don't deserve a round of applause for now stating you're going to make sure that you're going to make sure that everybody who's employed has, you know, there's a, there's a number, that there's a, it's, it's, it's level. It's, it's not. You, you should have been doing this many years ago. But we still have to be thankful it's happening now, but I think we also need to have the conversation about not trying to tokenize people, because with that, that causes an entire another issue, you know? Anyway, I'm talking too much. I, I think we're, yeah, I think <laughs> we're getting Joel. ready for Joel's performance next. Yeah, we're going to make some space because we have to move some things around and we will get Joel in to do some music. And then after that, we'll continue the conversation with both Joel and Robia and we'll kind of have an open conversation about all of our experiences within the arts. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Hello, all. Joel. Uh, no, wait, where's Charday? Okay. Um, it is Joel, not Joel, just to clarify that. And first of all, I would just like to say thank you to Anna, Charday, and the Meeting House for having us. Uh, we'll start with the segment from Crimson, uh, the latest EP that was released early this year. And I hope you all enjoy it. Thank you. Oh. Mm -hmm. 
silence to persist.
let it go, let it grow inside of you. Feel a burn resistance inside of you. One, two, and. Let it go, let it grow inside of you. Feel the burn, resistance inside of you. Open the doors, please let me out. It's time for change. Stop the waste, do no restraint. In this state, you've been there too long. We don't have long.
Thank you. Um, Alana Curtis on drums. <laughs> up to our last song now and it is entitled I Feel which was a summary in a way of the journey that I was trying to tell within my latest project which was an exploration on my emotions in a way um, yeah, it was a roller coaster, so I think you all might resonate with how things ended.
Thank you all. I'm sure it's a pleasure. You right, babes? <laughs> well gone, babes. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, thank you for that performance. It was beautiful, thank you for as always. I wanted to ask you, as we were saying in before, yeah. that when it comes to the arts industry, music industry is usually the first, in my opinion, I want to draw your opinion on it, the first industry that black creators are usually accepted in, in regards to entertainment. Yeah. As an independent, especially in regards to navigating the industry at the moment, how do you feel it's been for you as a black man, specifically? Um, to be 100% honest, like, I don't really know if I can talk about my experience, quote unquote, as a black man, because I don't know any other way. <laughs> um, but so far, it's, it's really been about, I haven't, I feel like myself, I haven't dwelt much within the music industry because I feel that I'm currently in a stage in which I'm still trying to um, find my own voice and understand as well what is it that I would like to communicate with people. So that has been in the forefront of my journey. Mm. I don't know if I answered your question. No, no, it does. Yeah. But you, you see, like, in regards to whilst you're on this journey and looking at the industry as it is, as a creative, do you feel like you need to find your voice and navigate your own lane? Or do you find that the music industry is not something that you care to be a part of? When we're talking strictly about business, I don't mm. really have much interest mm. in being within that realm. Because I've um, had some experiences, as you've mentioned before, going on tour with Tinoir. Um, how did you find that? Because you didn't even come and tell me the tea after. Like, no? how was it for you doing that? Because I know you said you loved the experience, but yeah. how, how was it? It was amazing. Yeah. It was really fun. Oh, and but at the, same, at the same time, it was very interesting to see things because I still consider myself somewhat an outsider. Yeah. Because uh, music is one of the means of expressions that I follow through because I also work as an architectural assistant on, on the side. So it's kind of interesting to see how these two realms work. And going on through with Yannick was, was fun, but at the same time, as I said before, it was interesting to see that you need to be aware because there are traps. 100%. And when everything is catered for you and everything is given to you, it's, it's very easy to fall into a space in which you're used to command and receive mm -hmm. that you don't really give much. And what I've seen that once you fall into a space in which you lose your humbleness, that's when you start to collapse. And it was interesting seeing Yannick, how he pretty much treats everyone in the team as equals. And there's no hierarchy in when you're talking to him. It's, it really feels, comes from a space of friendship, mm -hmm. which makes things fun and intimate. And yeah, it, it, was, it was a really, really good experience to be part of. Yeah, how thank have you. you felt in regards to working? Sorry, how have you felt in regards to working with the music industry? Because obviously, if yours, yours is dance, so it's a completely different realm, mm -hmm. but yet it's still a part of it. Yeah, 
Um, hi guys, welcome today. <laughs> um, hi. Um, so yeah, dance. Uh, I've it's, yeah, it's a bit different, but I've um, never so much been interested in uh, being a, I guess, a commercial dancer or enjoying kind of being on a platform behind an artist. Uh, however, uh, I mean, I like more things like this, independent things where I can just share um, whatever I'm feeling that day, basically. Um, however, like Sade said, I did a tour last year with Rita Ora, and that was the first time that I kind of was like, okay, I'm out here. What does this feel like? Um, and in regards to, uh, I'm mixed, of course, and in regards to my agent, um, which again, I wasn't interested in, but we just became friends and then he was like, fancy dancing for Rita. And I was like, all right, cool, let's do it. Um, let's make the money. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gotta get it. Um, but in regards to my agent, he was, he's quite um, open and eclectic uh, with ethnic groups too. So actually the tour was six dancers and there were only two white people on the tour. So I didn't get to experience being a minority in that. And I think because I've waited quite long to do commercial work and things are changing, mm. uh, I felt like we had more of a, a, a voice and a standpoint. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, that's, that was one thing in the industry. I've done videos and other, you know, gigs. Um, but like Joel said, there are traps and there are things that will get you. Um, and you will feel like, you know, even walking into an audition and having, you know, a choreographer come through and just saying, one, two, three, four, five, you're all cut. And we haven't even done anything yet. It's like, that's a trap to me. Cause it's like, actually, I just want to dance because I love to dance and you haven't even seen me dance yet. So where's, where's that coming from? Um, so yeah, it's been. Do you been, feel yeah. like you've ever felt comfortable enough to voice it there and then, or is it more the moment uh, you see something incorrect? You you know sometimes you need time to actually yeah, take on board. Yeah, it depends. Happened. I think you have to judge the situation kind of as you go. You know, not everything is. I don't always say that you should do something because I think sometimes the situation just is different. It just depends. Some, uh, normally, after an audition, if I haven't got the job which I've barely gone to auditions, to be honest. But if I haven't got the job, I do end up asking why. I'd love to chat about it after or have a debrief or whatever it was, um, just so I can find out the real root of it um, and where it actually came from instead of me just kind of going and then me making up my own stories in my head, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know how, you know how it goes. So, um, yeah, so it's been... So I guess, um, obviously, music and dance are kind of intrinsically linked. And you kind of mentioned upon how it was almost aesthetics based on why in which people were being chosen for a job because you mm -hmm. hadn't got a chance to perform yet. Absolutely. So do, do you kind of feel like there is this... But then I think also we can talk about issues of race, but then there is also colorism and there also is a multitude and specifically being a female as well you're being judged constantly on your body as well so do, do you feel like there's an intermix of the two female and color and yeah, yeah i feel kind of like intersectionality is, absolutely i feel like 
It's, it's a hard one as well because there's normally a brief that they're trying to follow and it's not necessarily their fault sometimes, it's from a hierarchy and again it's that whole system isn't it? Um, but yeah, and being a woman, I think, again, because I've waited quite late to do commercial work, I see now, you know, on the media, you see bigger women, or you see, you know, more coloured women, or you see more androgynous looking women. And I think now it's like, now that I've managed to find that section and choose really wisely about the jobs that I'm doing, just because it's like, I don't want to be on doing a job that I feel like I'm the biggest one there or I'm the only coloured person there. That's just not what I would go for. Um, but I know some people might feel like they're in that situation because they want to make it as a commercial dancer. And I find it really hard for them, actually, mm -hmm. to be honest. And when I see that, it just deters me away from it. And it makes, like you were saying at the beginning, I'm all pro doing your thing mm -hmm. and, doing, and putting your art out. Like, you're the one that's pushing the cart and um, you can keep blaming and keep pushing and pointing fingers at the world, you but you have to figure it out yourself and figure out what your identity is and so that you can push what you want to do, basically. I, I think it also comes down to like the responsibility of the artist who is directing the vision as well, because I've been in so many cases where I've seen casting descriptions mm. And they oh, yeah. are so very specific of what they're looking for in a person's physicality. Yes. Um, yes. yes. As soon as I see that, I'm like, nope. I think that's why you <laughs> felt like you've not wanted to do the commercial dancing side yeah. for so long. And I think also it's different because I'm not just a dancer, but I choreograph, I create, I like making things too and I think just as a dancer I think they they there's a struggle there because the brief is so specific and um but I do think that there are I think if that brief is so specific go and find the other brief that's not that specific you know go and find something that's like you can find more you can be accepted for who you are and loved for what you do Really. Do you think that's and why you enjoy the choreography side of things? I think because that it's is, very, because it's very, yeah, it it's comes from, from within. Me. It exactly. comes from within, and I think it's so important to start from within. And then I've got one for you, Joel, in terms of being... <laughs> <laughs> got one for you. Got one for you. In terms of being independent and kind of what we were talking about in terms of rather than being one who's being ticked off a box or a specific, as an independent artist, you're getting to choose the kind of projects and spaces that you're working within. How, how is that to kind of have that kind of ownership and how important is that in your creative practice? Um, I think that's great. And I think that's very, very important to have that level of control over your own work. Because it's, it's very easy once you fall into the machine to be <laughs> dictated what you need to do and how you need to look and where you should go, even if it doesn't resonate with who you are or what you're trying to express. And also in terms of like speaking a little bit more like business-minded now, like if you're gonna, quote unquote, create a brand, it's good to, I think, plant your own seeds and, and make sure that you have control over your path because then once you hopefully fall into a position where you, you're collaborating with certain entities, you're then able to dictate what you want and yeah. how you want to navigate. Because, yeah, it's very easy to fall into the machine early on and then just lose your path mm. and you become... Get lost. Mm. 
one more cereal box in the supermarket. Yeah. What do you feel like you want to do now? What's your next step? Because obviously with the pandemic, there's yeah. a lot of restrictions, let's <laughs> say, to put it politely. Yeah. But how do you feel, like, what's the next step for you? Uh, I think, in a way, not being a little bit romantic, I think that tr trying to look into the positives and how we can create within the current um, like world affairs, because like, we are all creative people, and I think that this is just another challenge in which we can take and hopefully it's gonna hopefully like help something greater come to fruition. In my case, it's really about how I can um, connect with people and yeah, I was just being assessing what, how can I be in a intimate and interactive, have an intimate interactive conversation with people. So that's what I'm currently trying to figure out. And then project-wise, just record my music and also rethink really like how we can release stuff because technology now is amazing. Like you have VR and you have things like that that you know can be amazing to, to use it over over a yeah. True, true. <laughs> what about you? What's your what's your next step? Have you apart from travelling and going to Malta? <laughs> That she's just like, tell me about. But what's your next Um Yeah, again, I, th I think it's pretty much the same. I think it's about how you can... Sometimes life just throws things at you, right? And um, the pandemic is one of them. And um, it's about how you can create th with the restrictions that you have. And I think finding the art through that uh, and not necessarily being literal and like, you know, now I'm going to dance about with a mask on and you know that kind of stuff it's it's that's not where I'm at I think it's more about what you feel and you have to kind of take each like I was saying you have to judge each situation very differently um so yeah my next step would just be more uh creation uh online-ish uh technology is good but there are definitely pros and cons to it so I do kind of push back, but then I'm in, so just trying to find the balance. How do you found it's been with the whole Zoom situation? Because I know there's a lot of people who have been doing like Zoom choreography, yes. Zoom yes. lives. We've yes. tried it, not enjoyed it, I'll be honest. I hated it. But, yeah. in, you know, you still have to try to interact with your audience in regards to trying to keep, yeah. even in regards to business. Mm -hmm, How mm -hmm. have you found that? Uh, yeah, I completely steered away from it. Yeah. I was like, I'm not doing Zoom classes. Yeah. The reason why I dance is for the community. It's the interactiveness. It's the fact that I can like be next to you and feel your energy. Um, so I, I deterred from the Zoom stuff. I tried one class online and I ended up just like making food, chilling. And <laughs> so yeah, I, just did, I didn't feel like I was learning as much honestly and I didn't feel like I was gaining what I'd like to gain through dance so it's been yeah it's been not difficult but just something that I've just gone okay everyone's doing that what else can I do basically yeah. so I'm, I think I'm still kind of in the process of asking myself questions about what I'd like to do and how to move forward. Mm.
I think, I think it's just that, isn't it? It's we're having to be able to evolve and really adapt. Absolutely. Because we all had all of these 100 things we were doing in 2020. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, maybe not. But like you're saying, within working, within the restrictions, and I think as artists, like, we always respond to challenges. Agreed. Um, and I really love that Nina Simone quote of, like, an artist reflects the times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think, in a way, obviously, you know, we don't do it in overt ways, but we're, even if it's only our feelings or experiences, this is a reflection of this specific moment in yeah. time. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's just about trying to find a way to pull it out there, but authentically, because I do feel like, especially with social media, there's this constant urge where everyone's trying to compete or to appear like they're all doing something. And I think with the pandemic, it then put a halt on everyone. You couldn't all now try to compete or, or match up or mm. find someone to try to compare yourself to because everyone had to pause. And that's mm. when you see, in my opinion, what's the most authentic, whether it's being done for the art or if it's being done for a reaction. Mm. And I think it's not necessarily about trying to pick who's real and who's not, but I think as an artist individually, it gives you time to actually reflect on what your purpose is. Because for some people, especially for instance, like commercial art, in terms of artists, in, in my experience, mm -hmm. commercial art is, it's, it's like clothing, it's mass production, it's just putting something out for the sake of making money. But if you're doing something that's abstract art, or it's you know, avant-garde clothing, it becomes wearable art, so it actually has to come from feeling and emotion. Mm -hmm. And I think people then started to navigate as to what's actually important to them. Yeah. rather than doing something for the sake of clout or hype or all these yes. crap terms that exist. But at that point, where are you going? London Fashion Week doesn't exist, so who are you grabbing clothes from Absolutely. to appear like you're this? People then have to genuinely reflect within themselves. And I think with the pandemic, as negative and as unfortunate as it has been to families and losses, etc., it also gives you time to reflect. And I think that's something that everyone needed to pause. I think we're constantly trying to put something out, but it needed to pause. Like global warming, even that, like seeing how the world is starting to recover from... Literally. It's like a Disney movie. Literally. But I think that's the thing with the pandemic. Yes, there's negative elements to it, of course, but... I think as individuals, it gave us all time to really figure out what's important to us. And I think it's necessary. I think it's sad that a pandemic had to happen for that. But sometimes I think the world does need to stop for you to actually think about what's genuine for you, you know? You have to find a positive in it somewhere. Yeah, and, yeah. As, and as artists, we can't be constantly creating it's anyway. There's this kind of unrealistic mm -mm. expectation that what's your new project that's out? Oh, you're not posting, there's nothing new. Yeah. But it's like a part of the process sometimes is doing nothing or having like, a, like periods of time where <laughs> you're down and then, but you know, it's then you natural. move through it and then ideas come. And yeah. it's, it's like creating is like an, a natural expression. It's not something that can be pinpointed to London fashion <laughs> week deadlines yeah, yeah, yeah. or um, TV commission slots or yeah. um, different, I don't know. It, you know what I mean? For every industry, we all have those same different milestones totally. that we're all trying to meet mm. um, rather than actually focusing on like what we're creating, what our initial intention is, mm. and then 
what, what is the outcome and kind of accepting that journey yeah. and allowing it to happen. You were going to say something. Don't be shy. Oh, no, no, no. I was going to agree with what Anna said. Um, I th just adding to your point, I feel like it's, it's very important to stop downloading, you know, to be able to upload information. Yeah. And it's so easy to be grasping flashing lights and things that are constantly coming your way. Yeah. You're always absorbing information and then you don't really let enough space in your head to think through things. Because, like, I realized that Boredom is very important to create because, like, you make stuff when you feel bored, mm -hmm. you know. But if you're constantly kind of repeating my point now, mm -hmm. seeing stuff and absorbing information, you don't really let that time to um, let your ideas flourish. Yeah, I always say, kind of uh, being like being busy is also as important as not, mm. and just being still can generate some beautiful things that you would have never expected. Um, and I think, yeah, like with social media, there's a lot of people, you can tell, you can feel the difference, you know? There's a lot of people that just need validation. Mm. And, um, and then there's people that are just like, I just want to put my art out. Uh, so you can really sense that. And um, yeah, I, I, I think stopping is super important as well. But I think, I think what's quite interesting is I think what's become so important for social media for our generation and also specifically for a lot of black creatives is because there is not the spaces and institutions and whatnot, there's become now such an importance in showcasing yourself through social media because that is the one place you're in charge of. That is your platform. You don't have to be given it, yeah. you know? So I think there is this kind of duality of wanting to step back from it, but being aware that if there isn't another space for you, where is your output to show your work? But I think it's just about recognizing that we're not machines. This whole thing that our phones, like when you, even when I go to a gallery, you know how I am when I go with you, like my phone's in my pocket, but when people go to look at art, they're taking a picture of the art before they're even looking at it themselves. It's like you have to show the world that you're doing something <laughs> rather than actually living yeah. in the moment and doing it. And that, I think, is what's sad because with social media, it's great. It's allowing the world to recognize the injustices that are happening because without the video proof, people can say it didn't happen. But in regards to actually living in the moment, we're looking at the machine and then we're almost becoming machines. We're reflecting the thing that's in our hands because we're trying to portray that we're constantly, as technology is evolving, we're having to then show that we're constantly putting something out just so that we can almost be alive. And quite frankly, right. you're existing <laughs> yeah. if you're doing that. Because to be alive, you have to live in the moment, not take a picture, put it in Insta, just to prove that you're living. Because even if I don't post on social, people are like, are you okay? I've not seen anything. But how about you actually pick up the phone and call me right. to ask me that question, <laughs> not DM me to check if I'm okay, you know? I think this is the issue. I think as human beings, we're forgetting the terminology of what being human is, which is to live you know, exist. not exist. And I think with social media and technology and everything that's being bombarded in our faces, we're forgetting the simple pleasures in life. And only when a pandemic hits do people recognize that you can actually sit with a friend and talk and actually just enjoy that moment rather than go and enjoy the moment, but take a picture rather than even interacting with the person next to you. So I think it's about just being real and not being a machine right now. Yeah. Because we're human at the end of the day, right?
Oh, that got deep really quick. <laughs> I think we're probably going oh, to have a little break Probably, now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if we have a five to ten minute interval and then we're going to get to see Robia's performance. Yeah. Looking forward. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Thank so you. in ten minutes, Thank do your you. dance. Yeah. Um, so when I met your dad, it was love at first sight. <laughs> No, it was, um, I don't know, we kind of just kept on seeing each other in the, in the neighbourhood. And, um, and then he invited me to a hip-hop jam, which we discovered we both liked music and a particular type of music because I was really into hip-hop. And um, so discovering that he liked hip-hop was, yeah, things, things that pulled us together. Um... Yes, we went to a hip-hop jam, recorded the whole thing. That's what really brought us together, music. And um, and he kind of reminded me of um, one of the lead rappers of Cypress Hill. So <laughs> that was really, um, that was our racial bridge, music. It, it didn't discriminate either of us. Um, the understanding of uh, what it, what hip hop even meant and where it came from to for someone to actually enjoy that and know what it what it means was already communication um well to be honest um you were raised as in black culture you were completely raised in black culture, from black church to the food you ate and the friends I had. Well, actually, that's a different thing. But my family, um, you weren't you weren't really in your dad's life. Um, but even then, if you were, it was still um, black culture because uh, he's from South America and it's a very similar culture very similar mentality um you know respect your elders um boundaries um all all sorts of things um but also you had uh other cultures as well so that was our main thing but my best friend was asian we had more south american people coming in our family and my mum was quite diverse from the very beginning, we were raised in a very open home. So people from all races and all disabilities were allowed to spend time at the house. Um, so humans were just seen as humans. Obviously, um, you were raised in black culture because that's where I came from, from, from Jamaica. Even though I was in Britain, raised as a British person, when you went home, you ate rice and peas and chicken or oxtail or whatever or porridge cornmeal porridge and that's what you had i think you were six months when you had um soup <laughs> caribbean soup and you loved it so that was yeah that was completely your upbringing <clears throat> i think we're all striving to get to the point where we are classed as equals as humans and um 
we've all got to be aware that we, like, as I said, we, my mum raised us in a home that accepted all races, all abilities. So for me, moving forward is inclusivity. If you're black, include. If you're white, include. If you're Asian, include. If you're Chinese, include. Any race, include, because that's how we're going to learn from each other. That's how we're going to be open. That's how we're going to discover who we truly are. Like, yes, there is our history and we must enjoy that and enjoy our culture and be a part of that. And I think opening up to other cultures and other ways of doing things is really, really important to understand moving forward in the creative industry. That's where that's what we have to do is is um, be inclusive. That's the only way I can see us moving forward. And we are beginning to in this in this way. Love you. Love you too so much. <laughs>
the darkness One of them rules over One of them will fade just want to say thank you so much Robia that was such a beautiful performance I think I think we've really finished on a on a real high note um, so it's an incredible way to kind of close up our first black exchange event of our, our takeover here at Newington Green for Black History Month. I think that's essentially really what we're about as Black Exchange. It's about, it's about celebrating um, black artists and it's so amazing to be able to, for you to share your work um, with us. It, it was so beautiful and personal. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. I think you're the every event we do just try to incorporate that because yes. as much as we have all these negative approaches that the media likes to portray there's so many positive things that we're all doing Absolutely. you know yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's um, yeah it's, 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 it's again what we kind of went back to about um, you kind of are steering your car and you're the one in control really and um, and what you guys are doing is brilliant the fact that you've brought these people here today and us to perform is a blessing and it's also it's also we are part of the industry you know like the industry is the industry but we are part of it and we're making moves forward and we're trying to change what it was and what it's becoming so yeah big up to you two as well yeah <laughs> yes. but yeah because i i think in a way essentially we are the industry. It's more about how are we making the industry work for us yeah. rather than yeah, it's about working within the industry. Because yeah, yeah, I, was, I was having this conversation 
um, in terms of my projects, but also just kind of generally this kind of idea of working within an institution, whether that be a university or a record label or um, a film um, a film production company or whatnot, it is if you are trying to work within an industry, there is only so much change you can actually make. And I think seeing as we're kind of so, we are really acutely aware that we have so much to offer and the industry can't really survive without us essentially, Absolutely. which is why they're so keen to profitize yeah. Yeah. off of us. It's just about how are we making this work in, in terms of being able to create the work we want on our terms, right. but also be able to benefit from it. Because I think what we're talking about when we're talking about Black Lives Matter, it's about black lives matter whilst you're alive. And that is yes. about thriving and not just surviving. So, and that is generational wealth. It is making spaces and the foundations for the next generation, because I think we're so aware that as much as we would like to be able to make changes, there's only so much we can mm. physically do. So we're kind of just sowing seeds that the ones after us will have it hopefully slightly easier than yeah. we do. Yeah. But I think it's about recognizing that rather than demanding the industry changes, we actually have to make the change ourselves. Mm -hmm. You can't, as I said before, we can't keep waiting for the industry to wake up. Quite frankly, we all have voices. Our voices need to be heard. And mm -hmm. if we can have spaces like Newington Green supporting us having these spaces, then we can introduce other people to come on board. You yeah, because essentially it's not about the industry waking up because the industry is awake. It's They're very conscious mm. and aware of what it is doing and the system is working by those who designed it to work in a certain way it was not designed for all of us 100%. but I think again these are factors that I'm sure all of our community are, are super aware of and we're not doing anything like brand new right now there's been you had the Black Panthers civil rights you know, civil rights movement alone, as we said, as much as people are talking about Black Lives Matter, we always matter. The mm -hmm. fact that we even have to mm -hmm. make banners to just shout about it. It's, yes, it's necessary, protests are important, but these are not things that are going to make the change. It's just an element of it. We need to actually take action and make moves to make people wake up properly because people are still asleep on us in regards to being black creatives. They're just trying to pull it aside or tick a box and to make sure that they're coming with more than a black box and now trying to tick diversity boxes. But I think if we make more of these spaces, like safe spaces as well, I think that's what's important. People feeling like they can come together as a community because as one, yes, you're strong, but as a collective, you can make more moves to actually come together as one and make real change. So I think with Black Exchanges moving forward, that's what we just have to keep doing, really. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. But yeah, on that note, thank you everyone for coming. But, uh, oh, what, yeah. what happened? Have you got time? I was just going to say, yeah, we've still got, we've still got, got maybe 10, 15 minutes. So I think this could be a nice time. We can open it up to the audience. And if anybody yeah. has any, com um, any questions or things they'd like to say, you know. Do you have any questions? We can pass the mic. <laughs> <laughs> you just got the camera. <laughs>
Danny, do you have anything to ask? You always have something to say. <laughs> How do you expand? Ah, okay, okay, I understand. Well, I think it's, I, I can't answer that question, even though I'm a mixed race person myself. For me, it's more about what you identify as, regardless of your genetics and your makeup. You know, with, in regards to how you were raised, <laughs> in regards to how you were raised, I think it's about knowing what your cultural identity is. And nobody should be able to dictate to you whether or not you should take sides, because being part white, being part Indian, being whatever mix or race you are, that's, that's an element of you, but it's not, it's not only your identity. There's so many different aspects as to who you are. So taking sides is not... You don't have to take sides. You should be proud of yeah. both and embrace that. And if anybody asks you to take sides, just tell them to be tell silent, <laughs> basically. <laughs> That's what I would say. <laughs> Is there any other questions? Anyone have anything to ask? Or? Um, anybody mm -hmm. have any questions specifically about the arts or mm. in terms of any, any projects or anything anybody else is working on? Have we got any other creatives yeah. in, in the building? I've, I've kind of heard this kind of idea of the, the Renaissance mm. Mm. being, being thrown, thrown around. I guess, obviously, every period of time we've got significant historical events that are taking place mm. that impacts you so profoundly. And as artists, you can't avoid reflecting that in some way within your practice. Um, I guess, I guess probably there, there is an evolution, but I think in a way it's the way we've been erased from history throughout time. It's, it's always been happening. We've always been making work and it's always been there. It's just necessarily about seeking it out. Um, and I think obviously with internet and whatnot, it makes it easier these days. But at the same time, if you don't have a starting point, it can be very difficult to navigate because if you go to any of the major institutions like galleries in London, um, you're going to be very limited in terms of the black artists that you see represented. Like we were saying, in terms of there being a space for one or two people at a time, yeah. that is a real thing. And it's like, at the moment, you've got the Tate, you've got the Kara Walker sculpture, Art, which, which was super beautiful. And then now I, I believe the Tate have been running a series of other creatives are kind of responding to that over Black History Month, but then specifically black over month? Black History mm. Month. Mm. It's like it's the only time of the year where our voices should then be heard. 
I think overall, there's so many artists and black creatives that have been creating way before the Black Lives Matter movement has become mainstream media. I think this is a difference in regards to artists. We're always creating and it's always out there. It's just about having to seek it, which is why I think events such as Black Exchanges and there's other independent collectives that are making safe spaces. And I think it's about not looking at mainstream media. With social media, as much as I made point of the negatives of Instagram, the good thing is you can hashtag things and literally seek out the information for yourself. And I think that's probably the main way to go because with establishments such as the Tate and art galleries, they will have permanent collections and when you explore it, there's one or two black artists within the entire museum. But there ha why is it only we have, you know, Tate late, V&A late? You have events, entertainment, again, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. when it comes to entertainment, you have a black DJ, you have a black musician. When it comes to Tate late, it's about getting an audience in for that night. And then you have that night, you have Black History Month. It's always a temporary time where black creators should then be heard. So with that, don't look at mainstream spaces because quite frankly, they were never designed for us. But look at places that are more independent. I think that's the main thing. But in terms of a renaissance right now, I think what we are at is at a very interesting point in terms of we all have the tools ourselves to be able to archive our work and so the next generation will have a huge resource to look back at, to see what things were like at our, our period of time and our artists and our creatives mm -hmm. in a way that now we're digging through and kind of relying on, I don't know, the BFI to have, have in their um, catalogue mm -hmm. a film and, to, and then you have to go to the Black, black Archives and, and you'd have to make an appointment to go and access these kind of artefacts. There is a huge restriction on what is even available. It's like when you went to the British... Um, history, was it the British, British History Museum? And, yeah. and, they and the had African selection was shut down. It's it was closed for that week. When I asked as to why, they said we don't have enough staff. But yet in the entire museum, there was staff everywhere, but not the African section. Mm -hmm. So, you know, things don't happen by accident. Certain things, unfortunately, are they're designed that way to prevent you from actually wanting to learn your history. And I think that's also another thing when it comes to the educational system. It's an establishment that doesn't teach you of your history. The only history we're told of is Martin Luther King. Rosa Parks was a tired old woman, yet she was doing pro-black activist things way before she decided to say no from not removing herself from a seat. So I think don't just take on board what the educational system puts there for you, because you will never hear things such as the Nambia genocide, medical apartheid. Nambia genocide is something that happened way before Jewish and Nazis. It happened in Africa. But even I learned that through my mother, who was a teacher. And though I recognize the privilege of that, of having a woman who was educated to be able to pass that information on, not everybody does. So rather than keeping that information, sharing it, and not taking on board what the educational history books are putting out there for you, questioning them. And if they don't like you questioning them, move forward, maybe like Black think? Sunday School. I was always enforced to go into one. I think every black child or every child full stop should learn about history that's not only their own, because quite frankly, black history is world history, you know? And I think it's also like, it's really important to value the history we have today. It's taking advantage of our parents or grandparents and mm. holding on to that, that history. Ta like, 
documenting those those oral stories yeah. it's yeah. like we have such a, a huge resource of history right now it's making sure that we are holding on to it so it doesn't get erased like so much did before it um, I would say to your question as well that change is the only thing that remains constant I think and um, I think in every generation there's always a big something that happens and or if it's not one thing there's many things that happen and I think we are also creating history and I think that that's the beauty of it and I think there's always something that's going to happen in each generation we evolve we move you know we just keep going and I think yeah there is also there is always going to be an, a big evolution and things are going to be thrown in there and we are creating history right now as we go, as we speak. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm just wondering, uh, how, do you use, how do you grapple with the contradiction of, of being um, people of colour in, in entertainment, whether it's creative uh, or the arts? How do you grapple with that? I guess, I guess that, I guess, I guess for me personally, for my, my practice, like I'm a photographer um, and I've re recently started getting into filmmaking. I remember very early on when I started doing photography, um, predominantly fashion photography, at that point in time, you'd go to a model agency and you'd want to test some models and there weren't any black models available or there would be one and they would be booked on a job mm. um, and I think that has very much changed mm -hmm. so I think when it's front-facing in terms of almost as if when we're being used as props for diversity I think what what's really hard is when you're trying to have ownership and author your own projects and to have black voices, not just black faces, essentially. Um, I'm, I'm struggling. I, I seem to get a lot more work at Black History Month than I do throughout the rest of the year, I guess because my work kind of predominantly talks about blackness and queerness. So, yeah, that and Pride are good months <laughs> for me. Um, but I think, I think it's... It's unfortunate, but I think sometimes you have to kind of take those opportunities um, in the hope that you're sowing seeds for broader opportunities that you can continue telling your stories because even though you might find it frustrating that you have to do it in this specific moment, they need to be told. So I think it's, 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 it's a weight and a responsibility being a black artist and trying to tell your experience and make the kinds of work you want to make and to try and make money, yeah. I think that's the thing. For me personally, I began doing fashion design and then I then stemmed into doing arts and visual arts. So I don't... I'm very independent. Everything I've done, I've always self-funded. I've never waited. I think that's the main thing. I can't sit here and wait to be given an opportunity. I can't wait until an established gallery decides to put my work in. Instead, I have to go out, pay for a gallery, 
or hire a gallery or connect. I think it's just about using your voice, creating work, regardless of whether or not you have a space to pull it in, and just using the platforms that we have, social media, and and just sharing it amongst your community, because I feel like if you wait for things to be given to you, you might be waiting a long time, unfortunately, because yeah. as the industries are, whether it's art, whether it's dance, whether it's photography, the concept of even being given more work during Black History Month or Pride, that's, yes, you have to pay your bills, but it's, it's disgusting. It, it will genuinely, as an individual, let alone as a creative, it will... You know, even when it hurts it, your soul, it hurts your soul. <laughs> and in terms of, especially when we talk about mental health with the black community, it's something that is very taboo. It's just no, life is hard. The world may have not been designed for us. You deal with it. But that alone, you know, it's it's something that you're having to deal with and face as an individual before you can even express that through your art. So, I think the main objective as an artist, especially personally, is about creating your work, doing it authentically, and navigating your own lane. Like, that concept of trying to join the whole seat at the table, start singing Solange, but anyway, you can't, you can't wait for the seat. You have to make your own table, and I think if we all do that and introduce other people who are also on that same path as you, sooner or later the table will become so big with so many other seats that unfortunately it's establishments will have, join to, our table. will have to <laughs> join because they're going to be able to take notice. So for me, I've been doing it independently since, since I left doing a two-year foundation because my tutor didn't understand my work. But then the director of London College of Fashion ignored my tutor and put my work in and I was the first person doing a foundation degree that was featured in the press day show. But if I had listened to that tutor who told me instead you should give up and do modeling, maybe I wouldn't be here now, you know? <laughs> so it's about ignoring what certain people may have dictated to you and instead just trying to find the strength to just continue on and ignore, not taking on board what established people may say because unfortunately, there's only so much you can take from someone, in my opinion, who doesn't look like you because they will never truly understand your experience. You can understand to a certain degree, but if they haven't lived your life, the way you navigate the arts industry is going to be completely different to theirs. So I think taking the risk, though it's scary, you only live once, so you have to try. That's my objective anyway. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think dive in head first. If you, can't find, if you can't find it somewhere, there are so many other avenues. The world is huge. Mm. And um, we can spend time trying to just focus on one avenue and cussing people down the whole time. But that's a bit long, to be honest. Like, and that causes a lot of anger, and it's tiresome, and it causes mental health issues. And that, these are the problems that I, I see. I see a lot of anger and hate towards each other at the moment. And hence why tonight my performance was about the sunshine and bringing in that positive-esque because all I'm trying to do is just dive, dive headfirst into something where it's like, okay, if I can't grapple with you, I'm gonna be over here and I'm gonna get mass over here and then your business might frail because I'm over here building my, my empire. Mm. So yeah, I think it's just more about, yeah, you, instead of you standing there and telling them what they should be doing, I think you need to revert it back in and start within and tell yourself what you should be doing, basically, more so. <laughs> Good question. Thank you. I think maybe we might have time for like one more question if anybody has anything. Did you have a... 
Yeah. Um, I was going to say, what do you see as the framework for change as creatives trying to champion other creatives? Sorry, can you say that again? I was going to say, what do you see as the framework for change mm -hmm. as creatives trying to champion other creatives in this industry? I guess, I guess in a way, I said... I'm American and I live there currently, so this conversation is happening all over the world. Yeah. I think more so, for me, it's connecting vertically instead of, you know, me, uh, horizontally instead of vertically. So just trying to mirror the same type of thing in a space that, in my own community, basically. Um, I I don't know. I think I think essentially there isn't really a framework mm. at all. Um, I think mm. it's kind of because because we are still in the position, like I was saying earlier, where you may be the first person who is doing something in your industry or whatnot. That we're still kind of all navigating it ourselves. But I think what is quite interesting for, for me because I'm working in film. Um, and I'm very, I'm very aware and conscious of the big disparity between the industries of both here and in the US, because we have so many um, actors and talent that end up going over to America because we don't seem to have the financial resources that we actually want to put into black creators, because I, I don't believe that the resources are not there full stop. It's mm -hmm. like... Um, mm -hmm. It's like how much was Tate given as a bailout? Something like seven billion or million was it? Well, they There's were given a, a huge <laughs> bailout, but then there was about three hundred odd staff who were made redundant, who were specifically majority being ethnic minorities. I don't really like that term, but non-white on low-paid budget, um, low-paid salaries, whilst all of the high up staff on 100K aren't getting made redundant. I, I, think, I think the arts, there's, there, is, there is a limited amount of resources, I think, in this country. And this is sometimes why I think we end up having this kind of almost competition between one another, mm. because there is so little space for us yeah. that rather space. than working together, I think essentially that is what it is. It comes down to collaborating with each other Absolutely. and supporting each other's projects and businesses and paying full price for your, your friend's products, yes. you know? Um, in order, in order so we can build up ourselves each and each other. And it's like, if you have an opportunity, like, who can you bring along with you? It's like, I'm, I'm trying to um, crew up my team at the moment and I'm trying to get an all-black crew um, for, my, for my film. But it's actually mad when you try and do it and you realise that there's actually so few to pick from, and I think it comes down to things like money and resources in terms of like, who is, getting, who is going to film school? You can only be a DOP if you've gone through and had these training, it's where are these opportunities? So I think it, what it comes down to is when you have these opportunities, how are you inviting someone else in yeah. and, and giving them the leg up yeah. And so it's not just you, it's the next generation. I think we have to have this kind of forward-thinking mindset. I think it's about helping one another because mm -hmm. you can't wait on the industries to help us. 
that's what it comes down to. Like you said, it's about as a collective trying to all evolve to be better as one rather than one individual. Mm -hmm. Because quite frankly, you work better as a collective and as a community yeah. rather than one individual. So I think that's the main main thing. Yeah, sharing, I'd say. Sharing mm. is probably my one of my favorite things to do. Um, I like to give and receive, and I, I like exchange. And which is yeah, it's that's what it is. I think that if there is some, if there is a framework, which I think the framework can be bent and manipulated into whatever you'd like it to be, mm -hmm. I'd say that sharing um, is and exchanging is definitely a big part of building each other to, each other up. And um, yeah, including and learning from each other and learning all parts of the world and people and all of that. Yeah. So share, share. <laughs> I, I think yeah, we've we've yeah, left it. We finished on a really beautiful note. Um, we we've got a few more events coming up um, at Newington Green for the rest of this month. Um, so One next on the, week the on the ninth, yeah. um, we have another talk. Um, this month we'll be focusing on the arts, so it will be a continuation of our experiences within the industry as well as speaking with other people. And then on the 16th we have an evening of film screenings, um, Identity Across the Diaspora. Um, which will look at um, a variety of different um, contemporary filmmakers from different backgrounds exploring identity. Um, and then we close on the 31st um, with, our, with a final talk. Yeah. yeah, so we're going to put all of the information out there on those favourite apps such as social <laughs> media. But um, we do have some flyers around that have our next event, so feel free to come through to the next one. So thank you for coming. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you.